All right, hello and welcome to Teaching Python. This is episode 19, No Longer PyCon Newbies. What a great title. <laughs> my name is Sean Tiber. I'm a coder who recently began teaching. And my name is Kelly Schuster-Paredes, and I am a teacher who recently began to code. And we are, as you can tell from the background noise, at PyCon US 2019 in Cleveland, Ohio this week. What an exciting time. There's so much noise. Not only is it outside in the room, but there's so much noise going on in my head with so many good things to think about and to bring back to our school. Yeah, it's, I have to say, it's honestly one of the best conferences I've ever been to and just really amazing how much is going on and how many cool things are happening. But the things that strike me the most are really the, just the amazing people that we've gotten to meet and how welcoming and inclusive they've been just from end to end, it's just really been quite an amazing con uh, conference. Is that your win for the for the week? Oh man, I, I like how to pick just one this week. Like, there's so <laughs> many cool things that are happening. But if I have to say, um, my win for the week is that I submitted my first pull request to the Circuit Python library to make a change to it, and that felt pretty good to be able to do that. You know, again, I don't know where to go with the wins of the week. My biggest win, I think, is just walking through the halls in the conference and the convention center and getting to meet all the people that I've seen on our Twitter feed. To see, you know, Brian Onkin and Michael Kennedy and Dan Bader and Julian and Bob and all the other people that we just saw in the halls, just to be able to walk down that hallway and just like, oh, wow, I know you. How are you doing? And I think that was great. It's such a welcoming community. It's such, it's such a... Um, a great sort of family to be in and I, I really like that and I think that's a huge win just to feel comfort and knowing that although you don't know everything about Python that people are going to be supportive of you and and accept you yeah I thought that was really great I mean I might want to revise my one of the week just being able to meet all these people has been amazing um, I think I was in uh, in an open space session with authors of three of the books that I'm currently reading at the same time and it was amazing. I couldn't believe that we met Eric. Eric Mathis, right, um, of Python Crash Course and he's just such a super nice and welcoming sort of person and, and you can just go up to him and ask him questions and talk to him and he's just been such a like a great uh, amazing person to, to meet this week. Yeah, and the author of Django. Yeah, Will Vincent. He, yeah, he actually uh, knows a Pinecrest alum, which I thought was amazing. Such a small world. It, it's been really just such a great, um, a great weekend, and plus a few days. But I guess we should start at the beginning, right? Absolutely. So we started. We came here on Thursday uh, or Wednesday night, very very late. <laughs> Our flight was delayed. We got in at like two o'clock in the morning, and then got up early the next day and went straight into the education summit. The Education Summit is um, happens on Thursday while there are many other tutorials going on at PyCon, and it's designed for educators and people who are involved in Python education. Um, and we got to meet a lot of different people through that and hear from a lot of different voices within the Python education community. Um, but I would have to say I think the highlight for me was uh, listening to Meg Ray's talk about the role of education. Uh, it, for Python, but also in general, what Python can do for education and for students in terms of their um, what they learn and their process and things that that I've been discovering this year. But it's been fantastic to hear her not only confirm it, but provide the research that helps back that up. Yeah, and I really liked how she she highlighted uh, Raspberry Pi's fail, the first attempt in learning, 
and just that reiteration that you will fail and it will be it'll be so worth it and I actually sent that quote to the kids in the subplans back home so that I can um, just re reinforce the fact that it's not about getting that code right right away it's about just trying one of the other things that I really liked that she gave was that whole idea of translanguaging, which I really didn't know that, again, one of those things that I'm doing, and I didn't know there was an actual terminology for it. So it just reiterated the fact that I was doing something right, that whole idea that if we can tell the story before we even start to code it and just write it out in our own words and try to find the code that fits the words, even if it doesn't make sense in Python, but just to start getting this stuff out and then write it into, change that language, that story into a pseudocode and then, you know, start putting into to a regular code for that would be it's just an awesome thing. And she was telling how she does it all the time with her projects. Yeah, that was really great. I mean, I have often thought of, you know, flow charting or diagramming something as like the step zero before you start writing pseudocode. But I really like the approach that you've been taking with that where it's the writing the story of the program. Here's what's going to happen in a stepwise sequence before we get into the pseudocode and trying to make it look like Python or even make it run. Just to be able to say, here's what I think it should do. Here's the story that I want to tell with my code. And I thought that was a really interesting way of positioning it and having a framework for this called translanguaging. Yeah, and oh my gosh, I forgot to mention the fact that we sat right next to Nick Tolervoy. Yeah, I mean, it was great. Like, we've been, like, Nick Tolervoy, the creator, lead developer, he would never tell you that he was the creator of Moo, but one of the lead developers, one of the people that has been instrumental in making Moo happen, was sitting right next to us, and we, like, had a lovely conversation with him, talking about education and computer science and Python, and it's just been... Like, it's just, like, I feel starstruck all the time by all these people that have done so much that we use on a daily basis in our classroom. And I really like the fact that he showed me a trick that's always apparently been sitting in the back of the resources, which he also showed me. And the whole idea of being able to take the translanguaging and start having the kids write in single lines in the Moo editor all the steps that they want to take and then just to highlight all those steps and click command K and turn them straight into comments. Yeah. I was dumbfounded. I could not believe that. I have not been doing that all along. And what what a great educator coming back from from um, a person who taught music. He just really appreciates the, the teacher and is really supportive of all things in the teachers. So that educational summit, that was a big takeaway with that. Yeah, that was, that was really great. And we... Um, that was also the day that we met the uh, the Adafruit team, the team that works on CircuitPython and all the devices and software that we use in our classroom. Um, what just so many like such a great team, so like warm and supportive and creative and and just it was it was wonderful. So we've been hanging out with them over the last few days and uh, helping the, uh, helping each other out where we can. And it's just been really a lot of fun to to meet everyone along the way. And learning their stories, too. Um, just to see that some people haven't been coding all their life and, and to see that Katni um, from Adafruit, she started coding in 2017 and now she's making hardware at Adafruit. It's just an amazing story of how Python can really be so easily learned 
it with a little bit of effort, obviously, but so easily learn and just um, the community just uh, accepts you. Well, what an amazing story! I mean, she they were she was telling me that she started learning Python and started like making suggestions about what could be done, and it was like three weeks later that she's writing her first library for Circuit Python for one of the boards and trying to get it all to work and learning it at such a deep level. I was just so blown away and so um, amazed at everything that she's done in CircuitPython. Absolutely. And then um, meeting the girls who um, code with Python at the Education Summit, and I did not write their names, and I feel bad, but just seeing what they do for the girls as as a course outside outside of the school system. Yes, an after-school After course. school program, and just some of the things that they did, and and um, how they were trying to build confidence and curiosity and to get the kids to to look at how whatever they're learning is going to impact their society or the, the, the world around them. I thought that was great. That is really good. And I, we'll find the, the links to that in the show notes, the links to their program that you can look at. And of course, uh, before we get much further, all of these things that we're talking about, anything that was videotaped is available through the Python uh, conference website. Um, so there's just so many wonderful talks. In fact, we've tried to limit the number of talks we go to to just the ones we're really excited about because we know that every talk is being recorded. There's an opportunity to go review it later online. Um, so you don't have to be, make it to everything. And just to be able to go and have some like great conversations and some great experiences, just live in the moment and enjoy every, every part of it. Absolutely, and they definitely need to go and I think to look at the inside the world, uh, the world's largest Python course on Coursera yeah. with Dr. Chuck. Yeah, I, it was it amazed me that Dr. Chuck actually has his University of Dr. Chuck and has all of the basic um, basic concepts of Python on videos free. Right. Outside of Coursera, if you want to get the paid course and pay for it in Coursera because you're your school or you have the funds to do it, you can do that and get the certificate, but you can also just go straight outside. And I thought that was amazing from uh, PY4E, so yeah. PyForEveryone.com, for Dr. Chuck. That was awesome, too. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really been... Um Great, and there was a there was a long conversation too about Python certifications that I didn't really like. It's a little re bit removed from where we are with uh, with middle school Python, um, so it was a, it was something that just really demonstrated to me how much people are thinking about all the different aspects of Python education, not just a K through twelve education or college education or adult learning, but really what are the things that people need in order to prove competency in a language and demonstrate that to an employer in order to get a job, you know, or to be able to help upskill themselves into something new. Yeah, and then afterwards, I actually did a um, Minecraft sprint um, and worked with some developers, one being a high school senior, who they took, it was a project where they took the entire Minecraft game and rewrote it in Python and what left, let it open so that you could edit the code in Python and edit the micro Minecraft game. And I thought that yeah. was pretty cool. And they call that Sensorcraft, right? Sensorcraft, yeah. yeah. It was, uh, so it's, it's really cool. Sensorcraft is written entirely in Python and they're not trying to directly emulate Minecraft, but what they are trying to do is create this world of blocks that's even more um, hackable and more tailored to the Python space so that you can spend 
and go as deep as you want to into uh, the code behind it and really understand how a game like Minecraft a world of blocks like that is really built and what goes into it. Yeah, and we can't forget QPython as well, bringing uh, Python into the developing countries, which is something that's really close to my heart. Um, just thinking about the ability to bring Python into the world in Peru and to some of the, the people that don't have laptops and they only have cell phones, um, the fact that you can start to learn computational programming in your cell phone um, they're doing that in Africa, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it was, it's been really, it was really amazing how much breadth there was within the Education Summit. I really also liked how there was the sprints that helped us get started contributing to projects and to make the world of Python education a little bit better. And then we went from there almost directly into the next day, which was the first full day of the summit, uh, or of the PyCon with... Uh, keynotes and events and a exhibit hall and everything and just being able to walk around and talk with people and meet everyone uh, was such a great experience but one of the things that I really liked I think the highlight for me during the day in terms of the talks and probably the one of the best talks I've ever seen was a talk that a, um, a cross-stitch enthusiast had done about using Python to map pixel art from the internet to cross-stitch patterns that she could use to make cross-stitch embroidery using um, DMC thread, one of the like, more popular, well-known threads from a higher quality. And what I really liked about this was that there's a shortcut to this. There's a short path to doing it where you could just kind of directly map it and try to like match things up and you know maybe things were good enough. But what I really appreciated about her talk was how her thought process was so considered and deliberate and methodical about how to do it the right way. You know, that she had really put the time into iterating the process and thinking through how it would work. And just to give you an example, there's one of the things that she had done was trying to figure out what's the right color of thread that's available on this manufacturer's website. She had taken, she had scraped all of the thread photos off the site along with all of their metadata and then average the colors in all the photos to come up with here's the average color for that thread because of shading and reflectivity and all those things she could come up with this average color that she could then map against the RGB color space that the pixel uh, art was coded in and so it was this really cool way of thinking through a problem and think about how to define the different pieces of the problem break them down into parts that were easier to solve relatively right but something that was more discreet and manageable in terms of the solution, and then being able to integrate that back up into an overall solution. And it was really just such a beautiful example of the engineering design process that I just was blown away by. And I really loved how much effort and thought she had put into it. And it really paid off because she had, since she came up with the original code, she's extended that to things like alpaca wool and Lego blocks and all these other areas because the core problem was solved so very well that she could then move on to extending it and applying it to other domains. And I thought that was really a beautiful solution. Yeah, I sat, that, sat through that as well. I agree. The thing that I love is that through all the talks, I noticed that most of the presenters always 
set the stage with the problem. Um, I love the keynote speaker, Russell Keith McGee, and his problem that he wanted to propose to all the, the PyCon attendees was, where's Python going to be in the next 10 years? Here are the problems that exist right now with Python. What's going to happen? What are we going to do about it in order to make sure that Python stays this incredible um, language that has become in 28 years. The fact that it's just skyrocketed and um, some of the problems were just the um, accessibility through mobile computing or um, the packaging or the the, the um, language and documentation language right? and documentation and the fact of the funding and, and the idea that we keep we keep doing things open source and we're getting burnt out and we're working we're working at night to to look at code to fix code when are people going to start putting money into this into this code to keep it to keep us going you know and i just thought that i loved how all the talks that i attended everyone set the stage was here's the problem here's how we're going to do this engineering process here we're, here's how we're going to break down the issue and, and really look into and dive into finding solution. It was solution-driven, and I like that about this community. Yeah, there's a pervasive sense of pragmatism that seems to be the common thread through all of this, that there, it's fine to be, to be looking at things through a little bit of a silly lens and have a sense of humor, but we also solve problems. This is a getting things done language, right? How can I get things done? How can I make it work? And I think that starts with you know, the Zen of Python is the philosophy of it. It's like, how can I make it simple and clear and explicit? And that's far superior to complex and obscured and, you know, difficult to follow, right? Just a, a, a intertwined process. And that has been one of the things that has really shown through for this PyCon with me is that everyone here has an enduring sense of pragmatism. Like, how can we best solve this problem and make sure that we don't get our in our own way when we do it? Yeah, and how about how about me and my attending the Charlins and Spanish? I was pretty proud of my uh, my my Spanish time. Um, I got most of what was going on. There was um, an engineer, a forensics engineer. Um, I don't even know if that's exactly correct, a forensics engineer, but from Argentina and um, was looking at the sleuth kit and um, an extension of auto, I don't know, auto SPY. Um, and it was a plugin and it was actually supported by the National Institute of Standards and Technology. And what she was looking at was the problem that there's so many papers and so much date, uh, data and it was, um, really necessary to, to secure the, the integrity of the data from this evidence. And um, that problem drived, drove her need uh, of finding this solution. And this auto, uh, auto PSY sleuth kit um, was something that they were using and it was like aggregating the data into a CSV and uh, she was be able, being able to generate reports within Python. And uh, it was really interesting to see how they had a line of, of Spanish charlas and, and how other countries are using Python in order to solve problems. Well, that was one of the things that I thought was really great about uh, PyCon in particular is that 
this is clearly we're entering into a mature conference. It's something that's been going on for a long time, but it's not static. There's always something new going on and things that are being experimented with and tried throughout the conference. And that's been something that has really struck me as being a intentional design, right? That there's always this thought of what can we be doing better? What can we do to be more inclusive? What can we be doing to make this conference more accessible to more people and to be a welcoming, warm environment for Python and Pythonistas? And it's been a really fun thing to see how that's played out in a variety of different ways. And I think that Charles track is such a great thing and I'm so disappointed that I don't speak or understand Spanish well enough to attend. Uh, just to be able to hear Python through a different framework and a different lens of language that would be wonderful for an experience. Well, you know, just like we say, anyone can learn Python. I think anyone can learn Spanish. I can help you. That's true. So maybe by next PyCon, I can go to the Charles. You know, I keep saying, uh, thinking about all these talks, and every time I look back at my notes, I, this talk about problem solvers and um, I didn't write who it was by, um, but he was a really important Python Pythonista in the community. And the whole idea was the human mind is amplified by computers. And he set up all this code that was able to solve problems such as um, rock, paper, scissors, or, or um, Sudoku's, or the philosopher mind questions, all these... Um, these, these problems, the Einstein puzzle, and he was actually able to solve it, solve it not by setting up the specific algorithms in order to solve it, but by, by setting up points um, and variables within it. And it was such an amazing um, talk. And, but it's one of the things that I got out was a, was a quote by Katrik Chandra that said, problems defined are problems well solved. It is, a, it is easier to make rules than to find a way to find them. And I thought, wow, that's really good that they're actually just making the rules, not actually solving the problems. And by being able to tell students that if you can define specifically what is your problem, we can help you solve that. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, it was really, it was really amazing to me, like all of the different things that we've talked about, all the different people that we've met, there's just this relentless focus on what are the problems we're trying to solve and what are the things we're trying to do. So, you know, it was great. We did, like, we did this open space with teachers where we just put out a call for teachers to say, hey, if you're a teacher and you're teaching Python, if you'd like to meet up with us, join us in this room at this time. It's one of the unique things that I haven't seen in a conference before. It's just this open space idea where anyone can propose a talk or a topic or a meetup of people who are like-minded or share an affinity. And we did it for teachers and we had 25 people show up just to talk about teaching and Python. And it was great, like across so many different areas. People that were teaching the, in the Coast Guard Academy or in high school physics or you know someone who was a camp counselor who just loved working with students and helping them learn. We had just this cross-section of everyone who was teaching Python academics was great and that was the thing that I really took away is that everyone's focused on what are the things that we can do what can we solve how can we help make this better and that's been kind of the pervasive theme of of PyCon to me is really the 
thought of where do we go from here? Yeah. This has been great, but there's so much work yet to be done. Where do we go from here? Absolutely. And I, I think I think at this point in time, it's like going to go home tomorrow. And I, I feel sad that I'm leaving. But I'm at the same time, I'm happy um, that we have made so many connections. I kind of want to give a shout out for some of the new people that have, have that we've met. Um, and for example, Mundi, uh, he was a data, he's a data scientist. I think that's a, an amazing, amazing opportunity. Like you said, Meg Ray, an educationalist. That is just amazing. Santiago. Um, We've talked. We've talked um, to him and uh, David and Chris Williams and all these other people that we've met that I think are going to bring a lot of knowledge into our world and um, just an opportunity to learn more about Python. So I guess the big question is, Kelly, if you're a teacher out there thinking about should you go to PyCon, what would your answer be? Yes, and it's totally okay if all you know how to do are if, else, and elif statements or a couple of nested nested dictionaries, or even if you don't know anything, people are so welcome, welcoming. And the fact that you're there and you want to learn Python, you got to go. You just got to grasp that opportunity. Don't worry about not being that coder who you know is a pro or a programmer who's sitting in the back office writing 900 lines of python and it's okay just embrace it five lines of code is still five lines of code well, it's, it, that's exactly right and the today i spent two hours sitting next to a woman who's been learning python for a month and we talked about circuit python and physical computing and the benefits of that for learning and I reminded her that being a beginner is a strength. It's an asset. It's a point of view that you have as a beginner that the experts have lost. They were beginners once, but they don't have that perspective anymore. And I think that was one of the things that really struck me as unique about this Python community that I really appreciate is that you can be anyone. You can be who you are. You come as you are to PyCon, and you will be accepted and cared for and supported in PyCon for who you are today, not for who you want to be or for who you were, but for who you are now. And that's something that's really powerful and, and something that is special about the Python community that I haven't seen in many other places. I agree. And I, I, if the world was like that all over the place, can you imagine how nice of a place that would be? It's true. So come to PyCon and get a little microcosm of what the world could be like. I have one question for you, Kelly, because oh. of course, the thing you have to know about a conference is what's the swag like? So Kelly, what's your favorite piece of swag that you took away from the conference, that piece of like gear or kit or something that was totally free that they gave you that you could take home with you and you're like, this is awesome. I can't wait to like go home and use this. Before I answer that question, I just want everyone in the audience to know like, our conversations together are so unplanned. We're totally just going off of the notes in the drive. And he just threw out a question that I did not even think about. I'm very upset, but so happy he asked that. I am so excited about all the socks. I'm sorry, guys, if you come to Python and, and you don't bring socks, um, that's now like uh, something that I'm going to be looking forward to. I think that's I have a about problem <laughs> we can solve, right? If you forgot your socks going to PyCon, do not worry. Socks are here and it's amazing. I had Florida socks. My ankles were going to be cold and it's cold here in Cleveland. So now I have socks that go up to at least mid-calf because they are male socks. 
which is another thing that I need to talk to them about. But it was awesome. So you have you have uh, like their unicorn elephant socks, courtesy of Citus uh, Data. Yeah, and I have Instagram socks and Google socks and Microsoft socks. I'm wearing my Heroku socks Heroku right now. Heroku socks. And I'm sure I'm missing another pair of socks somewhere else. But what a great, such the swag. Um, I, we got a circuit, pie, uh, circuit playground from Adafruit. I got a whole lunchbox kit from Adafruit. I'm so excited. It's not, it's not from our school, so we can actually keep this at home and not feel guilty for having it. I'm totally rubbing off on you. Now you have your own at-home circuit playground kit. I'm so proud. I'm just going to make the blinking lights and put it around my TV. Uh, yeah, I'm totally good with that. Uh, so we did something this week while we've been at Python and we're, PyCon, and we're going to add to it as much as we can. Uh, we went around and asked people that were attending to share with us a little bit about their experience with Python and advice that they might have for people who are learning it or teaching it. And so we asked them one of three questions. We asked, one of these one of the three questions was, one, what is one piece of advice you can give a teacher that is thinking about teaching Python? Two, what is one thing that you couldn't do if you didn't have Python? And number three, what is one thing that you hope kids can get out of learning Python? And as we were asking these questions, we were just amazed by some of the answers that people were providing us. Yeah, so next we're going to let them tell you in their own words the answers to those questions. And we're going to sign off and get some sleep because it's been a busy, crazy weekend. But we're going to leave you with the people that we've met at PyCon that we've just fallen in love with and just can't wait to see again very soon. So for Teaching Python, this is Sean. And this is Kelly. Signing off. Hi, I'm Marilise. I am a grad student at Stanford University. Um, I've been coding in Python off and on for, I don't know, seven years-ish? Estimate. I don't know, we were talking about how do you figure out what you don't know? Because you don't have the words to ask other people. You don't have the words to ask Google. You might not necessarily even know how to look it up in a book if you have a reference book. And I think one of the great things about being a teacher is being able to give people those words. You know, being able to give them resources to get to the next step when you're trying to, you know, encourage them to ask questions, but encourage them to learn how to learn and how to teach themselves. That's amazing. Hi, my name is Chris Williams. I am a cloud architect. Um, I have been coding for seven months. What is one thing that I hope kids can get learning out of, out of learning Python? I would hope that kids would get the ability to troubleshoot and think through a problem logically and, and be able to think critically about a, a problem and come to a solution through the critical thought process. Why, why is that important in the, in the work that you do? It's, it's so critical thinking is, the, is the, literally the biggest part of my job because I have to not only create solutions, but I have to ask questions about why those solutions are important to the customer and how does it help their business problems. Because sometimes the customer comes to me and they want to they want to fix, but, but they don't know why. And so I have to really dig deep into that by, by the process of thinking critically, but also actually solving the problem. And, and it's a, it's a, it's a two-pronged process, and it's, it's, it's a hard concept to grasp. And when you learn Python, when you learn how to code, 
it really it really brings it out. It, it really allows you to get into that critical thought process mode um, that that otherwise people might not be able to grasp. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. My name is Vanessa Angel. I am a petroleum engineer. I've been coding in Python for just about a year. What is one thing that you count on in Python that you use all the time that you would terribly miss if you couldn't use it anymore? It's interacting with data in easily and in interesting and new ways. If you have to rely on someone else to get and gather your data, you can't be as creative and you can't be as fast. But with Python, you get to do that yourself. You get the autonomy to work with data in however you want and try creative new things with it. All right, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. Hello, uh, my name is Gabrielle Rabinowitz, and I'm the lead teacher for the Bridge Up STEM program at the American Museum of Natural History in New York. Uh, so that is a free program in computational science for high school girls. Uh, the program has been around for five years. I've been there for a little under two years now. It's been an amazing opportunity for me to figure, to start experimenting with ways to teach Python. And so one thing that came up in our discussion today uh, that I shared, a lesson that I do, is around error messages. And one thing I've struggled in terms of best coding practices that I know, but it's hard to get the students to learn, is that I know error messages are good, and they tell me what I did wrong, but the students don't know that. And so one attempt I've used to try to help them learn that is I have them, I give them a task to generate each kind of error message that I know they're likely to encounter. So I'll say, generate a syntax error. You know, write some code that gives you a name error. Write some code that gives you a type error. And they have to do that um, to learn hopefully what kinds of code causes that and um, to know that it's a useful piece of information then I have them turn to a partner and share the code they've written and realize hey I got the message for this thing you got the error message for something else um, and they share out with the class what they've observed and in spite of that they still the next day uh, still don't get still don't read their error messages so I'm not saying this is a panacea it doesn't actually fix the problem it's a fun lesson it maybe like takes the first step but it's something that I think needs to be reinforced with them over and over again because because they're just so used to, hey, it didn't work, help me, right? So, yeah. That's great, that's great. I'm gonna pause. Uh, yeah, I'm Ian Fromer. I'm a math professor at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy in New London, Connecticut, and our undergraduate major is operations research and computational analytics. Um, so we've got a computing sequence within that, and I just started teaching the Python uh, course uh, courses in that sequence. Nice. Um, what's one piece of advice you could give students that are just learning Python to help them be successful? So one of the things I encourage my students to do is to write down a lot of what they're learning um, on cheat sheets. Make up little cheat sheets for themselves of various code that they'll use. Um, and then when it comes time to using their code again, that they refer to those cheat sheets. That is, don't Google the answer. Um, even if you've got your book, if you've got it on your cheat sheet, that's even better. So just having these little references of the key code. And over time, what I find is they need them less and less. Um, if it's a specific area, like um, one of the libraries that they might use, um, and they might put it away for a while, you have that sheet to pull out after a while and refresh your memory then that works pretty well. Nice. Thank you very much. You're welcome. My name is Brianne Kaplan. I'm a data scientist at a company called eDovo. I'm also the founder of a 501c3 nonprofit called Code Our Dreams. We teach students, uh, under, underfunded students in Chicago, uh, computer science, so they can build applications that make positive impact in our communities. Um, I've been coding for the past, like, six years 
And the question, what's one thing I hope kids can get out of learning Python, is really that, uh, well, kids are so creative and they're also so motivated by uh, creating social impact. So I hope they see that Python is a way that they can take their thoughts and their ideas um, and create something real and make an impact in their communities. And Brianna, um, you mentioned earlier about um, a meditation kind of technique that you use with your coders in order to build resilience and perseverance in coding. Can you go ahead and explain that again to us? Yeah, so I find that it's really easy to get frustrated um, when you're learning to code. So something I do with my students is I lead different breathing, meditation, or yoga exercises. So an example is I have this exercise called the five things. And to get my students grounded when they're really frustrated is to ask them to think of what are five things that you can see right now? Now, what are four things that you can hear? What are three things that you can touch? And it goes down the five senses. Um, So I find that our students, they really enjoy that, and it's a way to kind of bring them back into their own bodies. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Hello there listeners, this is Sean from Teaching Python. Kelly and I recently spent some time reflecting on what we've learned since we started our podcast. We've learned that there's an amazing community of teachers and Pythonistas out there, and we're thrilled to be a part of it. One thing we've also realized, if we're being honest with ourselves, is that we're not that great at editing podcast audio, or hosting and running website servers. So what we'd really like to do is get some help with that, and that costs money. As it turns out, there's this really cool website called Patreon that lets you support us with a few dollars each month. We're a little bit more comfortable with that as teachers than going out and looking for sponsors, um, to corporate sponsors to help us out. We're setting a goal of $100 a month to start. That'll cover basic things like website hosting and podcast audio editing. If we hit that goal, we're going to launch. We're also going to launch a monthly web conference meeting for patrons, where you can meet with us and other teachers to ask questions, brainstorm teaching ideas, and make plans. Thanks for all of your support. We really appreciate it. It's made the biggest difference for us as we ventured into this new world of podcasting.